Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pink Owl. My name is Henry Kathman, and joining me on our fairy-licious journey, it's Emma Corey. I very much object to the word fairy-licious. Oh. As you've used it right now. Oh. Just so you know. Well, I apologize. Except not really, because today we are going to be uh, discovering more magic with different types of fairies, but not those of Fairytopia or of the realm of Bibble, but those in Pixie Hollow. We are going to be transitioning to discussions of the Tinkerbell movies. Yes, I am very excited. I am a big fan of these films. I liked them a lot as a kid, and I think... As far as films go, they still hold up pretty well. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know about you, Henry, but I've always been, I've always really liked these kind of stories where it's like tiny people living their lives in their little tiny villages, like the borrowers or uh, Thumbelina type stories yeah. or uh, everyone's favorite forgotten mid-2000s CGI live-action hybrid film, Arthur and the Invisibles. Man, they made three of those movies, huh? Oh, yeah, because I remember, like, uh, they had the original movie come out, and then they just, like, dropped, like, two, like, direct-to-Disney Channel sequels. Yeah, with, like, a lot of the same cast, too, which is weird. Yeah, except I think in the original, like, the main girl character was played by Madonna. And I yes. think in the sequels, she was played by, like, Selena Gomez or yes. something. Which I think that's Dave, a better choice. David Bowie choice. was in them. David Bowie was in those movies. And that was before I really understood who David Bowie was. I mostly was like, yeah. oh, wow, they got Snoop Dogg? I heard... My parents talk about him once. Yeah. Those movies were weird as shit. Just Those <laughs> movies really are a Buckwild ride. Another Buckwild franchise, I mean, we already mentioned The Borrowers and uh, that one 90s movie with John Goodman and and a young uh, Tom Felton pre-Harry Potter. Uh, but also, we had The Littles. Do you remember The Littles? Yes, isn't that like a book series? It's a book or... series that was adapted oh. into an 80s animated TV show. Animated oh. by Deke Studios. Oh. Yeah. It oh, was actually, oh. it, it's, oh my god. It, it, eh. <laughs> I don't know, I just like all like the stories to just like, you know... Even like those like like all those like mouse animated films that were popular for a bit or like the ant animated films that mm. were popular for a bit. Yeah. Does anyone remember the ant bully? I remember the ant bully. I, I don't think anyone else bully. really remembers the ant bully. I never saw it. I read a novelization of it. It wasn't good. You read you didn't see it but you read a novelization. Yeah, it was a book that <laughs> a, t a hotel gave us for free. Like, it, there was a weird thing where, like, certain, I think it was, like, certain types of Hiltons were giving out free books. And that was one of them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I think my I... grandma gave it to us. She does, she's, bless her heart. But, yeah, now, I think it's time we uh, talk about the Tinkerbell movies. So, here's the thing. 
that's very interesting about the Tinkerbell movies and the whole Disney fairies line that they're kind of meant to coincide with. Um, so, like, the Disney fairies brand has been around for a while. Like, like Tinkerbell has been used in, like, promotional materials for Disney since, like, ever since her first uh, appearance in 1953. And even before then, like... Uh, Boy, howdy, did Uncle Waltz like to promote that. Because he did have, like, a big affinity for P uh, Peter Pan. Hence the 50s movie. I will say, though... Yeah, how do you, how do you feel about uh, original uh, Peter Pan movie, uh, Tinkerbell? Henry? Well, um... Because she is somewhat of a controversial uh, figure. Because in that initial movie, she does try to murder a child. She does. Here's the thing, though. Like, Peter Pan's a really... A really interesting property to deal with. Because, like, on one hand, yeah. it's got, like, all these different adaptations and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's something that's on the precipice of innocence and, like, really messed up stuff when you get to think about it. And I think the 50s portrayal of Tinkerbell in the 1953 Disney movie is very emblematic of that. Yeah, and it is kind of safe to say that these movies, by and large, have very little to do with uh, Peter Pan. <laughs> no, they do not. Like, uh, you can say that they're technically prequels to Peter Pan, but, you know... Yes, yes. There's a, really only one movie in the franchise where that kind of comes up, which we will get to yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, this... And, yeah, listener, we... The plan is, is that there are, uh... uh there are five? No, no, no. Six, six of these uh, Disney fairy movies. There was originally a seventh plan, but that was canceled. And these movies are just kind. It's they're they're a very interesting specimen. So, as I said, Disney has very much enjoyed using the Disney like Tinkerbell as a property for a really long time. But unlike some of the other doll centric, girl focused. Uh, franchises that you generally saw direct to video the disney fairies uh property was not originally conceived of as a method of selling dolls although that certainly came later um so uh emma maybe you will be able to verify some of this but like the disney fairies series originally started off as a series of books yeah i mean I never actually read any of those books, but I do kind of remember, like, its presence, like, pre the movies coming out. I remember I did actually, like, buy, like, a doll at a store one time. Mm. Like, I think it was in clearance. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember, like, kind of, like, reading the back of that, like, doll packaging, and it talked about, like, the lore and whatnot of Disney fairies, but... I mean, from what I've heard, the novels are pretty, like, interesting specimens themselves, and they have, like, their own kind of separate, like, fandom and communities surrounding them. Oh, that they do. So, to give a little yeah, bit of background... apparently the oh. novels are actually a bit kind of darker and edgier yeah, than the yeah, they... being, and, like, the characters in the novel... Like, aside from, like, Tinkerbell, even when they share names of, like, characters from the movie. They like, act very their differently. Their personalities are pretty different. Yeah. From what I've heard. Yeah. So, so the the main uh, thing of this, uh, 
So let me back up all the way to the very, very beginning. Um, as a franchise, the Disney franchise, uh, Fairies franchise was originally conceived of in 2005 as a licensing spinoff to uh, Peter Pan. It was originally uh, a endeavor that was being headed by Andy uh, Mooney, who was the former, who is now the former chair chairman of Disney Consumer Products, which is a subsidiary that basically handles a bunch of different uh, Disney merchandise franchises, everything from like the Disney Princess line to things, a recent endeavor called uh, Disney Bunnies and Disney Dragon Kind. It, it didn't, both of these things really did not take off that as well as the uh, Disney Fairies or the Disney Princesses. Thing. Yeah, because I feel like when these movies were being released, it was kind of like coming right off the back of like the Disney Princess franchise yep. being really popular, and then mm -hmm. like releasing a lot of those like kind of direct-to-video sequels. Because I know these movies were were made by the same like subsection of Disney that made those like direct-to-video movies. Yes, this was a uh, being headed by uh, Disney Toon Productions. Uh, and for those of you guys who don't know, Disney Tunes is basically the subsidiary of Disney that uh, was in charge of pretty much, like, all of the, like, direct-to-DVD uh, Disney sequel movies and, uh, like, a bunch of stuff. Uh, it was closed in... God, it's already been two years since they closed it. But, you know, these are, like, the people who did stuff like... Uh, Aladdin Return of Jafar or oh those really good uh, Winnie the Pooh direct to, uh, direct to video movies I have a really soft spot for those or stuff like the Goofy movie and the extremely Goofy movie yeah and that then, is kind of thing I think this studio is definitely probably looked down upon in some sense because of how like kind of bad and cash grabby a lot of the films were but yeah at the end of the day there was it was not all bad. No. There was a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and the thing you have to understand about, like, a lot of Disney Toon, because this was all during the time when Michael Eisner was, like, the head of Disney, and, like, a majority of, like, his decisions with that are what kind of influenced, like, people kind of, like, there's a lot that... Now, Michael Eisner is not the sole person to blame with for a lot of, like what happened with Disney in 2005, but by golly, he was the one that was like, yeah, we should make direct-to-video sequels and try to corner that market. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, anyway, on the subject of Andy Mooney, though, because he was the guy that, uh, ended up basically, uh, finding a lot of initial success with the Baby Einstein line. Uh, and... He was also the head of the Disney store. As you mentioned, Emma, this was right off the back of the Disney princess lines becoming, like, pretty popular. And they would make these books and stuff primarily to be sold at the Disney stores. But eventually, um, a, a shift in the winds occur, like, right as this thing is being founded. Because around 2005, this is when you start seeing the whole... Uh, like, scandal of, like, 
Michael Eisner just being ousted from the company because of multiple reasons. And all of those reasons being a superstar limo in Disney California's adventure. And Euro Disney. And Disney Taiwan. Their whole kerfuffle with Pixar. And it's interesting because by the time that uh, this first movie that we're going to be watching, simply just titled Tinkerbell, the Disney fairy franchise had been already like reaching like a lot of like good critical praise for three years. Like by this time, two uh, two of the novels in what is called the Pixie Dust trilogy were already released. Uh, both of these novels being written by author Gail Carson Levine. I think this is very indicative of how much money Disney wanted to throw with this, because as we're going to see with this whole franchise, they put some actual, like, talent behind this. Not, like, A-list talent by any means, but, like, people that did, like, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, before I go, I kind of want to, like, sort of go into my sort of history of this franchise, but, I mean... I've seen these movies a lot. I remember always, like, enjoying them as they would come out. And I remember uh, being really hyped for the first movie when it came out because yeah. I had rented I had rented the DVD for uh, Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, oh, the, the best, best one, video the Disney be- sequel. I don't know. I have a soft spot. Unironically, okay. a, a good time, that movie. And I remember uh, there was, like, a teaser for the first film and it had this, like, girl going to this one park thing, and then they had, like, yep. the fairies flying around. Yeah, yeah. Which, which was not indicative of the actual movie, because there is no, like, girl child in the first film. Like, there are no human characters in the first film. Yeah, but yeah. Still, it's... it was. I remember it being a very good teaser. And I don't know, like, I remember they would air on Disney Channel a lot, and I remember Disney Channel also had these, like, shorts of the characters they would, like, air during commercials occasionally, Mm -hmm. so I remember seeing those a lot, and I think by the time, like, the fourth film came out, like, I wasn't really, like, following it as much but i still didn't end up catching like the later films oh yeah this was actually a franchise that i did see multiple of the entries for and you know what i think they're pretty yeah, good like i mean you can definitely tell like because i feel like a lot of like those direct-to-video disney sequels they were really just kind of like well it's a it's a Christmas special sequel to Beauty and the Beast. People are gonna watch it anyway because it's Beauty and the Beast. We don't need to put, put any effort into budget it. or effort. Make Tim Curry the evil organ. Do it. Yeah. Uh, but like these, you can tell like they just feel like there's like a lot of passion put on these, you know. And it's oh, like oh yeah, well part of it's this... sort of similar. Like they do definitely feel similar to the Barbie movies, like, being kind of franchise-driven movies, but definitely with a lot more budget than the Barbie films ever had. Yes. To get, like, that higher-quality CGI animation and also, like, um, you know, sort of more expensive voice talent in there, so... Yeah, that's true. And I would be remiss to mention, like, one of the big sole reasons for why there was this sort of change in direction at... Disney Toon Studios because post 2005 once Michael Eisner was ousted from the company um, 
basically all of Disney's animation department was put under the control of the executive producer for all six of these movies, John Lasseter. Now, Mm. yeah. And listener, if you don't know, John Lasseter, Grant, yeah, sure, you could talk about how influential he was in making Pixar what it is, but also, dude's a sex pest, and also, arguably, ruined a bunch of these projects because he was not willing to relinquish control and is part of the reason why Pixar isn't as well regarded nowadays. Like Yeah, it really is it it really is just sort of the sad part of things because I feel like I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but I feel like there was like a story of him specifically being creepy to like some of the female voice actors from these films. Yeah. So it's like yeah, I don't know. It definitely, like, puts sort of, like, a sour tone over everything. Yeah, it's... It's... Yeah, because I remember, like... So the, I, I know I we can... talked about this earlier, Henry, but I don't think it was on the podcast, how, yeah. like... It was always a thing, like, you know, on the DVDs for the Pixar movies, they would have, like, the... What it's like to work at Pixar, and it always looked, like, so, like, fun and, like... John Laster looked like he was like the cool uncle or whatever, but yep. then it's like he was like he uh-oh. always, ugh, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, I guess it was really fun unless you were a woman. Yeah, Pixar does have a reputation of being kind of a boys' club in terms of that, as does a lot of Disney's other animation departments. Yeah, remember when they like really, really advertised like Brave with like it's our, it's our female empowerment woman movie and yeah. they like fired the female director from it they fired the female director because she wanted to like do the original version of the movie that involved like actual dark lore and the stuff and focused on like the more dune storyline the you know the thing that people were like Oh, this looked really cool. I wish we got to see more uh, of that. That thing. That's got to be one of the most disappointing moments of my childhood. Like, seeing the teaser trailer for Brave, and it looks so And then so just cool. seeing it, like, ugh. And then the movie was... It's Brother Bear, but with ladies. And not as good. And that's yeah. saying something, because Brother Bear also Yeah, has it doesn't even have a Phil Collins soundtrack. <sighs> sure. Yeah. Hey, don't disrespect lot. Brother Bear. Brother Bear is a decent film. Okay. It's it's fine. It's fine. Anyway, I, I didn't th- say it was amazing. I said it was decent. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So now I guess it's time to actually get into the main cast and crew because Lasseter was a producer, but and like I was looking up. Yep, some of the voice actresses did speak out about how like oh yeah, Lasseter was creepy to me. Uh, but. Mm-hmm. He's not the only one who worked at it, and I want to give some credit to some of the other people. Um, main, so the main director for these first three movies uh, is Bradley Raymond, who Bradley Raymond, basically uh, all of his directing credits centered around uh, these different uh, Tinkerbell movies and one of the Tinkerbell shorts, as well as the two best-remembered Disney direct to video movies. Want to take well, a guess? I'm seeing your screen right now. Oh, Are you talking damn about it. Po- 
You talking about Pocahontas too? Yeah, Pocahontas too. And the Hunchback and... of Notre Dame too. Yep, yep. There's that. So he's responsible for those two things. Uh, and then as the main uh, screenplay writer, I we know. got uh, Pocahontas too is so funny to me because they were like, "Oh no, we gotta make this sequel historically accurate by having her get with her uh, the guy she actually ended up." marrying even though the whole pocahontas john smith romance was completely fabricated in the first place guys okay yep 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 yeah gross anyway the next uh person is as the main screenwriter is uh jeffrey m howard who most basically he wrote the screenplay for a majority of these uh Disney uh, fairies movies, as well as doing the screenplay for the new Phineas and Ferb Candace Against the Universe movie. So there's that. And he's going to be working on that upcoming Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur animated show that's supposed to drop on Disney Plus, where there are a lot of cool artists that I follow on Twitter that are going to be doing stuff for that. But I think the most interesting credit that this guy has is that he was part of, he was a production assistant for Escape to L.A. Hey, we all gotta start somewhere. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, what a start that is. And then the other two, uh, main, the other main person, uh, is Bradley Raymond. Oh, wait a minute. Bradley Raymond also consulted on the story. Whoops. But now, we're gonna be getting into some of the actual, like, A-tier, uh, like, voice talent that they got here. Uh, voicing Tinkerbell, we got Mae Whitman, uh, like Mary Elizabeth in Perks of Being a Wallflower, Roxy Richter in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Katara from Avatar, Amity in The Owl House, just, man, she's got, she just does so much, God, Mae Whitman. One of those, uh, voice actresses that must be consigned to eternally voicing teenage girls. In animated shows. That's yeah, that is unfortunate. But like you know, she's she she's able to at least like you know diversify every now and then. The other uh the other big people we got uh for uh voicing Rosetta Christian Chenoweth. What? Like Glinda, part of. Pushing Daisies, like one of my favorite shows. Like, ah, uh, it like, oh god, she was in the Bewitched movie, but like, God. Yeah, I assume everyone knows who Kristen Chenoweth is. Yeah, Kristen Chenoweth, yeah. we stand. The only thing about Kristen Chenoweth, I think she only was in the first three films. Yeah, I actually sh- think Megan Hilty ended up replacing her in the latter she- films. Yes. You're... Who is also a well-known Broadway Glinda. Yeah. So. Then we got people like Raven Simone as uh, yeah. Iridessa. Lucy Liu? America yes. Ferreira? Like... I think America Ferreira is only in the first film as well. Yeah, she, she is, but sequels. like... But still. Still. Pretty cool she's there. And then... But, oh, man. I Jane... really, I really do... Oh, sorry. I really do love Lucy Liu, though. Lucy Liu there. She's great. She's great. She punched Bill Murray in the face. 
Ugh. She always has my respect. God bless her for doing that. Bless her. Yeah. And then we got, like, just to keep going down the list, we got Jane Horrocks of, uh, from who's like a very well-acclaimed British actress. We got Yakko of Animaniacs fame, Rob Paulson. Carl Weezer. Yes, also Carl Weezer. Carl Weezer. Uh, Jesse McCarthy, which I know people like to say like, oh, <laughs> what does he do anymore? And he's like, nah, he does a lot of good voice acting roles. Like he was a Theodore in the Elvin and the Chipmunks films. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but also he's in, like, Kingdom Hearts, and he also does stuff for Young Justice, and he does, like, he does a lot of good voice acting work. Uh, but then uh, we also got uh, Jeff Bennett, who's also very big in the voice acting industry. And then finally, I think, like, the biggest uh, get, to be honest, they got Angelica friggin' Houston to play the queen like they have some a tier talent I like did you remember how uh, Angelica Houston was in the Barbie Rapunzel movie she was we're going for circle Kathy Najimy is in this what I'm sorry I I can't I, I if I'm gonna look through this IMDB page like, you're going to find, like, plenty of voice acting. Like I said, lots of, like, A-list talent with there. And then the other main person to note is the the main person doing the music, uh, Joel McNeely. Now, Joel McNeely, in terms of, like, his, his like, uh, scoring credit, he does... He's been around, like, making scores for things. Not for, like, the... A tier stuff, mind you, but you know, like he started off with stuff like The Parent Trap Three or uh, Super Cop or oh, he also did The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. But you know what? He also did stuff for like uh, all the Tinkerbell movies, and like I don't know, I have fond memories about the score. And he's still mm-hmm. like he mostly does stuff with Seth MacFarlane nowadays. So Yeah, and also a thing to note about these films, pretty much each one would come with, like, a new original pop song that would be sung by, like, the Disney Channel girl of the of the era. So yep. the first one, we got Selena Gomez doing Fly True to Your Heart. For it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, sorry, just Fly to Your Heart. It's, there's one other thing that I need to mention. Uh, in 2015, they were planning on making a live-action version of this. Of course they were. Starring Reese Witherspoon as uh, Tinkerbell and getting Victoria Sprouse for the script. It's been in development hell ever since. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of have a feeling since the movie series was canceled, and I I don't know if the toy line is still going on or not. I don't uh, think it is. From what I'm seeing, no. Yeah. It did. I am always wondering, like, why it just died so suddenly. Well, it, the main reason why is because, like, uh, they had a pl- a movie planned for 2017, uh, but this was when, like, basically the only thing that Disney Tunes was making at that point were Tinkerbell movies, and they weren't becoming very profitable anymore. And then you started getting the rise of streaming, and people were just like, you know what? 
uh, D- Disney has already been divesting so much from their animation department, which is a, which is a real shame. And because of that, um, uh, they no closed. No Tinkerbell film, only live action Beauty and the Beast from now on. Because they uh, shuttered Disney Tunes in 2018, we didn't really get to see much else from this franchise. But you know what? Considering that they got six movies out of this thing and were able to maintain a majority of their talent for a majority of, like, the actual film series, I feel like that's a pretty solid win. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I definitely feel like if this is something you would be interested in, I think you would enjoy these films. Yeah. Like, I've seen this first movie many, many a times. I can't really remember the last time I've seen it, but I remember it pretty well, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I definitely think there is interesting stuff to talk about with, like, the plot and the characters of this first film. So I'm looking forward to revisiting it. So one last thing before we begin. I'm looking at some of the trivia. And according to this, the movie was considered around 80% finished when Pixar merged with Disney. And basically, Pixar came in and demanded changes to the plot to the movie. The original version was supposed to be set in London, where Neverland disappeared and all the children had lost their imagination. And the movie would have ended with the fairies going to see a band called The Pixie Chicks. Which... (laughs) I don't know how to feel... Maybe Pixar made a good call. uh, Yeah... Yeah, I feel like uh, that's probably for the best, but at the same time, um, oh, oh, geez. And apparently, because this movie went over budget, uh, the head of Disney Toons direct-to-DVD division, Sharon Morrill, was removed, and basically John Lasseter and Ed Katzel, uh, another Disney producer, basically took over the whole thing. Because he thought that that original movie was virtually unwatchable. Which, hmm. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that has something to do with, like, the teaser that came out that had, like, a human character in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because that, like, original version sounds even, even farther away from what, like, the books were. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess I can... In hindsight, you can see why they stopped making these films because they these can't be cheap to make. No, like, no, this thing made this thing cost about fifty million to make, which that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. It made like, uh, like it sold uh, like over six hundred thousand DVD copies, and this was like before yeah. streaming. Like it made it made its money back, but it's still just like. I feel like they could revitalize this series to like a Disney Plus original like I could definitely see that yeah I guess it just depends on like if they think there's interest in it or not you know well who knows lord knows that that the mouse has enough money to throw around (laughs) yeah why not give us Tinkerbell fans a bone huh might as well might as well Lord knows you're gutting every other element of your animation department, Disney. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I think it's time for us to head off to Pixie Hollow, Emma. Do you got the pixie dust oh, already? You mean the cocaine? Yes. 
No, no, but no. Anyway, uh, we let's are get not the doing cocaine co- and let's watch some fairies. Okay, we aren't doing cocaine. Do you believe in fairies? It's Tinkerbell and her fairy friends. They'll fly for you. Ooh, fluttering wings. Bess flies to her pixie hideaway art studio, where you and Bess create artwork together. She's an artist just like me. It's Ronnie's pixie hideaway. She looks beautiful in her seashell bed. And in Tinkerbell's pixie hideaway, we make things. Find the ribbons and charms, and with a Tinkerbell staff, make fairy charm bracelets. We believe. New Disney fairies pixie hideaways come with one doll each little separately. And we're back. We are back with the Pink Isle Fairy Edition. And I'm going to say it, this movie is iconic, honestly. I, I have like, to agree. It's just it's just a good little film. Like, So this is the first movie in the franchise, and compared to the other films, it's not quite to the same like scale as the rest of the things are like as the series goes on they kind of like raise the stakes a bit more with the subsequent films but like yes this movie i don't know there's just like this real charm to it just from the from the way it sounds to the designs of their little fairy world it just feels very like it just has such a good vibe to it like it really does. This movie feels if you took, like, those little fairy statues that you find in those kind of, like, Celtic or, like, witchy shops and just made a movie out of them. Like, it just has that vibe. Like, a very kind of comforting vibe to it, you know? And I enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh... It, it, it's, it's a real fun time. Uh, like, I really appreciate a lot of the stuff that they uh, did in this movie. And even though this, I can only imagine that this movie was kind of a nightmare to work on, given the fact that like they had to basically completely change production like 80% into it. But uh, I feel so guilty when I say that, by golly, I feel like they made the right call in changing it because what they changed it into is something that's far more timeless. I know, like, we gotta remember, John Lasseter isn't bad because he's a bad storyteller. He's bad because he's a bad human being, okay? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And apparently, uh, it turns out that Mae Whitman actually replaced another voice actress, Brittany Murphy, who was uh, originally going to be voicing Tinkerbell uh, before. Didn't she pass away, like, at one point? She passed away in 2009. Yeah. A year after. Uh, yeah, very tragic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. One has to. One has to wonder why. Uh, what could have spurred that change? I guess. But. I don't know. Yeah. It's just hard to say. Like, the original idea they had for this movie just feels like it was so different from what this movie ended up being, but. Honestly, it feels like the change was for the best, because there is, like you mentioned, this does give the vibe of, like, those early Barbie movies where they kind of stick to more of the fantasy focus, so there's sort of, like, a timeless feel to it, you know? Yes, definitely. You know, even if it does have, like, a current celebrities or a Selena Gomez song in the credits, you know? 
Oh yeah, but honestly, it doesn't feel as shameless because of that. Because they got a nice mix of like experienced voice actors versus like some of those bigger celebrities in it. I know, and we should definitely go over like the aspect of the music that we didn't go over before. So yes, we didn't. Uh, shame on us because the, both the narrator and like one of the main musical influences to this movie was uh, Lorena McKennett, who is this extremely ex- and I mean extremely accomplished Canadian musician who is basically considered one of the premier uh, like Celtic uh, style like uh, artists out there like people kind of classify her under that very ambiguous world music label which is there's a lot of problems with that whole like way certain people kind of like boil down any non- traditional american songs to that but you know it's there's a lot of cool stuff with that and by and you might know her because in the 90s she had like this really big hit called the mummer's dance it was like it briefly topped the dance charts because she did like a classic celtic song to a dance beat uh but no yeah she was the not only was she the narrator but she ended up singing like two of the main songs uh basically it's called uh when the fairies draw near and it's just like i know that's the one thing i wish i would have mentioned before they started this because i feel like that's one of like the defining parts of these movies is these sort of like celtic musical influences and the score and some of the songs they use for these films because it really gives like a unique vibe to these movies and the songs in these movies that like kind of play in the background are very like beautiful and it's just very nice like it gives off a real sort of like the music in this movie gives a real like kind of like lord of the rings vibes when you go to the shire and it's all like da 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 you know it's it's like that kind of music and i don't know it just really adds a lot to these films and i definitely know that kind of continues on at least in for like the couple movies after this film Oh, yeah, and I feel like we got to give a lot... I feel like we didn't give enough credit to Joel McNeely as a composer as well, because, yeah, he hasn't... He's not as prestigious as an artist, but, man, dude knocked it out of the park. And I imagine, like, collaborating with Lorena McKenna helped out a bit. But also, they had, like, a pretty accomplished violinist. Uh, uh, oh, boy, apologies for mispronouncing this. It's, uh, uh, Ma... Mayreed Nesbitt. Uh, she's a very, very accomplished Irish musician. Uh, like, sh- she's primarily known for, like, doing a lot of, like, uh, doing a lot of contemporary I- Irish music and is even recording to this day. So, great stuff. Good, good music. But, yeah. Um,. I guess, yeah, we can, yeah, let's, uh, guess we'll get into the plot now. Yeah, might as well get into it. So, the beginning of this film is mainly kind of establishing the lore and how Pixie Hollow uh, kind of works. Essentially, fairies are born in this universe when a baby first laughs, as the narrator says, and that kind of establishes the sort of, kind of like, vague way that fairies work in this universe because 
Yeah. It's kind of a thing where, like, and, you don't want to think about it too much, because there definitely is some sort of a, some logical leaps you gotta take, but, uh... Well, the whole thing with, like, the babies laughing, like, that whole thing is, like, a mainstay from the Peter Pan stories. Like, that's, for lack of a better word, the lore that was established with that. Similar to the rule of, oh, if you say I don't believe in fairies... Uh, a fairy dies. Yeah, I don't think uh, that last role ever comes up in this film series. No one spontaneously dies at any point. But Man, by golly, if they did do something like that. Maybe that if would they be, got uh... to make more films, they would go in that direction. Because that is one thing, like, we do see other Peter Pan characters show up in the series, but we do never actually see any Peter Pan. Which, I don't know, no. maybe for it's the best... It's for the best, because if Peter Pan showed up, you would have to do that with the implications that uh, Tinkerbell is just going to leave all her responsibilities in Pixie Hollow in order to hang out with a bunch of prepubescent boys for the rest of her days. <laughs> as much as I admired like that 1953 Disney movie growing up, I just, the more I think about it, it's just like, oh, wow. Yeah. It is liter it's a great movie if you are a young boy, but for everyone from the girls to like like the not it, it's just uh just a lot of disrespect to non non white dudes in that movie. Yeah, that is kinda of thing. It's very telling in this theme series, even though like Pixie Hollow is on Neverland and we see like oh, yeah. the second star and we see the island shot. We never explore any of the other areas of the island in this movie because I don't think they really wanted nope. to acknowledge like the offensive Native American tribe or like any of the other stuff. So they were just yeah, like, and I think that's for the best. Yes, for the best. That's for the best. But this opening is so good. Like we get like the baby laugh, so and we get like these like dandelion seeds floating through the wind. You know, and yeah, this... and the and there's just like this long tracking shot as the dandelions are like fluttering as like the first iteration of uh, Lorena McKennett's like to the fairies they draw near song like, and it's just like this very like it's almost got like this haunting quality to it, like where it feels like I don't know, it reminds me of like a song that would be sung before a slightly scary story would occur. And I feel like it, it it's not, like, full-on scary, though. That's the thing. Yeah, it's but more it, it like, it feels off, like, like, like a lullaby someone would sing to someone. It's just... Yeah, that's a better way of describing it. Yeah, this movie just has a very kind of, like, calming atmosphere to it. You know, it's not afraid to have, like, quiet moments. But as, like this shot goes on we see like a single dandelion seed as it's like being led through the wind and, and it's eventually led all the way to neverland and into pixie hollow where we get to see how fairies are essentially born in this universe which is uh um they lead the seed into this like uh into this like common area in this place called the pixie hollow tree or the pixie dust tree, I think, which is where all the pixie dust uh, supplies come for all the fairies that helps them do their magic and their flying and whatnot. And yeah. some pixie dust is sprinkled upon the seed and out pops a fully grown, fully English understanding Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah which I do gotta say, 
that initial dandelion dress that she was wearing, it's, it's a good look. Like, all the outfits in this movie are just, I like, know, the character design point. is very good in this movie. Like... Yeah. Like, I know there are a lot of people that are, like, bitter because, like, these are definitely different characters from the book series that initially launched the franchise, but I don't know. I think... I, I enjoy yeah, a lot I feel of like these, these movies they stand on their own you know I did not read the book series when these came out and I I don't know I just I just always enjoyed them yeah. a lot and it's in here that we get introduced to Queen Clarion who is the matriarch mm. of this society how exactly she is the matriarch how she got into this position was she always a queen or like was she born into it or is she someone else before we don't know. But she's got a cut this vibe where she's almost like made of pixie dust. Like she has like this yeah, flowing gown that... that's like shifting pixie dust. And like when she like travels, she travels as like three glowing balls of light and then she forms into the woman and whatnot. Like a bit of a mysterious yeah. character. We never really like learn much about her backstory, but she is. Yeah, I know more of her backstory pops up in some of the future movies. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I know she's one of the characters I, that was apparently very different in the books that these were based off of. But in the movie, yeah, she's just sort I, of a kind of generic queen lady. You know, that one, like, yeah. kind of fancy magic lady that rules the lands and all of these Barbie Disney movies. You know, you just kind of got to accept her presence. Yeah. Well, I got to say, uh, at least with this one you don't get the impression that like if she bit it like everyone else would die or anything like that it's not like full-on fairytopia with that no that we know of <laughs> that we know of but anyway tinkerbell <laughs> is newly formed into the world and now essentially she has to go around and she's surrounded by these objects get gifted by the different like guilds of fairies and she has to find out like what talent she's going to fall into so that's sort of the other main gimmick of the pixie hollow area and how the fairies work is essentially fairies in this universe are uh in charge of changing the seasons so you'll have different fairies that are in charge of different things like you know you got the garden fairies that like grow the flowers. You got the water fairies that like control the rains and the mists. You got the uh, animal fairies that uh, help out the animals. And so Tinkerbell is going around and finding what her talent is. And then, uh oh, there's this little hammer on a little mushroom that begins glowing. And she discovers that she is a Tinker talent fairy. And these fairies are essentially the ones that create all like the mechanical objects and the baskets and like essentially all the things that like all the other fairies need to function and this is where she's going to fall into in this society but yeah tinkerbell is going about she's ending up trying to choose her stuff and uh eventually she goes all mjolnir and the, uh, this hammer starts glowing and chooses her and it's very important in the scene. All the other fairies notice that her little object glows much brighter than what they've ever seen before, even compared to Vidya, who Vidya is yeah. like kind of the mean girl rival Sundere character in this film franchise. 
Yeah. Yeah, she starts, oh she's God. an antagonist in this movie, but, in, you know, she kind of gets a redemption arc in the other movies, spoiler alert. Yeah, heck yeah, but she's, she she's a she's a bit jealous of uh, the praise that Tinkerbell is getting, so, you know, it's good to keep that in <laughs> mind. But uh, Tinkerbell essentially discovers that it's her destiny to be of the working class, and she gets her guides coming in to help her with the transition <laughs> oh god yeah so then we get introduced to bobble and clank bobble and clank are like don't get me wrong they were kind of annoying to me when i was younger but honestly i found these two kind of delightful clank is a little bit more annoying because like his whole gimmick is like oh He's kind of dumb, but yeah, you got Clank, know. who's like voiced by Jeff Bennett, who is kind of like the dumb guy, and then you got Bobble, yeah. who has these like glasses that have like dewdrops in them for like the glass part, which I thought was very creative, and yeah. he's kind of the sort of nerdy one, and he's voiced by Rob Paulson. Yeah, and if you didn't notice, like he would, uh, like uh, Bobble got had a habit of like getting up in people's faces like he's a little bit of a close talker and that's kind of reflective of his nearsightedness yeah and so yeah this the whole thing is that like when tinkerbell enters the room like all the other fairies she sees they're very like elegant and poised and then like clank and bob will come in and they're these two like knuckleheads and like these are going to be her guides to the world of the tinkers so and of course, it's also this point where we get a lot more lore about how, like, Fairy Hollow, uh, Pixie Hollow is kind of separated into these different sections where there's, like, an autumn section and a winter section and a spring section. And pretty much all the fairies are working in these sections to essentially prepare for bringing spring to the mainland, which I guess mainland yeah. is just England in the situation. Because, <laughs> like,. Basically. They never really say that they bring the seasons to, like, all the world. It seems like it's just, like, London <laughs> and nowhere else. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it does lower the stakes, yeah, though we did like note how the stakes get bigger. And... Uh, maybe overestimate their importance to the world. but Perhaps, but yeah. you know what? God, I, I gotta say, no matter what area they go to, every single one, I really appreciate how they make them so aesthetically distinct from one another. Like, you see, like, how the autumn... Like, you could easily imagine how, uh, like... I feel like most of any sort of girl-centric franchise, uh, in order for it to really stick, you have to be able to, like, cater to, like, different interests with girls, like girls that might be more into like the animals or girls that might be more into flowers or girls that might be more like sporty and stuff like that yeah. and it's like and that is sort of the cool thing about like the the disney fairies like these movies is that tinkerbell our main character she's like a mechanic you know like all her friends yeah. are sort of like they got like water powers or flower powers but she's like she likes to build things, and that's her thing. And I, yeah. and she doesn't have magical powers, and I think that's very interesting. Like, I'm going to put it out yeah, there. You don't have in these films, like, Tinkerbell is a very good protagonist. Like, you know, she's allowed to be, like, mm -hmm. flawed and really make mistakes in a way that, like, a lot of Barbie movie protagonists aren't allowed to do. And No, and I... 
I think a lot of that has to do with some of the original characterization. Like, we joked about how, like, the Tinkerbell in the Disney movies is kind of a psychopath. And um, I think they were able to, like, sort of translate that into something that's a little bit more, like... Yeah, she's not, like, all about, like, child murdering, but she does, like, get angry. She is kind of, like, abrasive, you know? She's not, like, this perfect character, and I appreciate that a lot. Anyway. I do, too. So, they do this little tour of, like, Pixie Hollow showing off all these different places, and eventually we get to, uh, the Tinker- what- what's it called? Tinker's, uh- Tinker's Nook, I yeah, think. Yeah, Tinker's Nook. Tinker's Nook, which I don't know how you would describe it. It's basically Yeah, it's like a little workshop that's like in this little like uh kind of ditch by this field. And like the way this place is designed, I think is very clever cuz you get to see how like they all like uh revitalized uh, the how they all created these tools in order to like create the things that they do, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate a lot of the... There's just so much attention to detail. Like, you really do get the impression that the people who made this movie were thinking about, like, okay, how could we make this thing function practically? Like, shout out to the production designers. Like, whoever they are, like, kudos to them. Uh, Yeah. And, like, in this we get to see uh, Tinkerbell's house that she has... I assume they had this prepared for when she was going to arrive, so, uh... And it's this sort of, like, little kind of gourd-looking thing. Like, I don't know. It's just very cool-looking. It looks like something you want to make in, like, a craft. Like, you want to craft it yourself, you know? Yeah, like, her... Apparently, like, the house kind of changed design in future movies, I think. I don't know. But, like, it's... I think in the later movie, she, like, repurposes a teapot or something. Yeah, or something house. something like that. Yep, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, she does repurpose a teapot. But at least for this first one, like, it's very... I like it a lot. It's very naturalistic. They got... And they do, like, this cool interior sweep with, like... That, like, shows off, like, this, uh, like, little ceiling fan made out of... All, I don't know. It's this movie's aesthetic is just like right on point, and mm-hmm. um, then we get. I mean, Pixie uh, Hollow sounds like a real sweet deal. Like you're instantly born and you instantly get a job and free housing. Like, <sighs> so in these movies, it's not like the fairies get paid for the work they do. They just do it, you know. That's true. So I mean, like, they, well, it's it's clear that this is more like a. Granted, Queen Clarion seems to be like a ruler of some sort, but it seems more like it's just a, like, I don't know, it seems more of a, uh, collective effort, you know, cause people, it- It's like they live in a commune, like, I don't know, they're very, like, we're in tuned with nature, and we're just gonna, like, live in nature, you know, and oh. be a part of nature, and that's our vibe. Aren't you the one that's always like, oh, it's best not to think about that? <laughs> And here you are, overthinking this. <laughs> but no, you are definitely right. It is, it's a very, there's a very, like, lackadaisical approach to, like, everyday life here. Like, people, but, man, Pixie Hall just does have, like, such, 
such good vibes to it, you know? Really appreciate that. But the, once she gets to the home, we end up getting to, like, the first sequence that I really, really appreciated. It is here where we get to the sequence where uh, things start. Uh, we start to see a demonstration of Tinkerbell's talents. Like, we talked about how, like, it's really cool that we, they made her a mechanic and, like, made her, like, this very crafty and uh, clever person versus someone who's more reliant on magic. And she's, like, given, like, these, uh, like, extra large clothes, and she thinks her And then we get, like, this cute little montage of her, like, uh, basically making her own dress. Yeah, we get the uh, iconic uh, green leaf dress being created. Yeah, scene. which you know what—that's a look. Like I, I don't know. That's it. It truly is. We even get kind of a weird scene where we get like the pan up shot of her new outfit, and like, uh, Clank and Bobble are kind of like, ooh, a wooga ooga, you know? Yeah. Although I kind of, I don't know. You don't get much impression that Clank and Bobble are, uh, that occupied with that stuff. Like, they, they appreciate, uh, the sights, but they aren't exactly gonna buy a ticket, you know? Yeah, they are pretty dedicated to each other. I don't think they would stray. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, let's be honest. Bobble is defo into those sloppy bears, and Clank is just ready to supply. Yeah, Bobble is a messy twink, you know. He's gotta <laughs> live with it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, so she ends up uh, starting to, like, you know, uh, help out with, like, some of the tinkering abilities, and we get to meet Fairy Mary, who's, like, the main person who, like, oversees the tinkerer fairies. Like, focus on meeting quotas and stuff like that, which is... Yeah, she kind of becomes a bit of, like, a surrogate mother figure to Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah. which I really appreciate with that. Yeah, she is sort of like the overworked mom type, where she's like, I gotta get the quota met. Can't be having fun now. Yeah, at this point, uh, Clink and Bobble, they're taking Tinkerbell to, uh see the other fairies so we're getting introduced to like all the other main people in the cast and we kind of talked about them in the voice actor section but first we meet uh silver mist a water fairy rosetta the garden fairy uh iridessa light fairy and fawn the animal fairy and uh uh emma you uh, oh they yes. just have like such good designs yeah them. like it's simple. I really like Iridessa's whole thing where she has, like, a sunflower-themed dress. And, like, honestly, these side characters are so fun. Like, you got Rosetta, who's sort of, like, kind of like a sort of Southern Belle type. Yeah. And you got Silver Mist, who's a bit more kind of, like, spacey, kind of like the weirder one. And then you got, like, Iridessa, who's sort of like the kind of neurotic one. Yeah. Which is interesting. And then you got, like, Fawn, who is just... She's just the softball player of the group, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, is that what we're calling it now? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, she's definitely of, like, the main uh, quintet, I guess. Yeah, that's what it's called. It, she, she is definitely the most, uh, the most butch of them. 
Definitely. Yeah. It is a shame that America Ferreira was only in this first film, but... Yeah. Yeah, Fawn doesn't really get a lot to do in this first film. Not really, Which, no. Yeah, it, I feel like Tinker's Bell's friends are f- so fun, but it kind of varies from movie to movie as to whether they're, like, given a lot to do or not. Hmm, that's fair. Like, in... Like, in this movie, they're, like, not as present as they are in some future films, but I don't know. They're just always a good presence to have around. Uh, Which of the fairy girls is your favorite, Henry? I mean, like, from a design standpoint, I really liked Silver Mist, but, like, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm... I'm also torn between Rosetta, because I I like her design, uh, like... I like her sassiness, and her being voiced by Kristen Chenoweth definitely helps with that. Uh, but yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I, I'm i torn between those two. Like, Iridescent yeah. and Fawn, they're good, but like... Yeah. Yeah, I think Silver Mist is my favorite. Like, I don't know. I just like the vibes of the water fairies, and... She just has such a nice calming vibe. I do feel like sort of the angle they were kind of going for these characters is that, like, Tinkerbell is essentially, like, a child in this film. Like, she's newly grown. She doesn't really know a lot about how their society works. And, like, yeah. the way the other fairy girls operate, they almost kind of come off as, like, cool older sisters. Like, they're always, like, honey or sweetie to her, you know? So there is sort of, like, this divide in that way, but, like, like they do at the give, same time... Uh, yeah, they do give uh, older sister vibes with a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. And that kind of goes back to the whole, like, sort of, like, Tinkerbell is kind of the audience surrogate here, you know? She's a, she's a bit immature, like, she doesn't really know how to control certain things about herself, but, mm. you know... She's still, like, eager to learn and, like, show what she can do. Yeah, and I think that's, like, the marking of her being, like, a such a nice and compelling protagonist. Like, relatability isn't the be-all, end-all, but, I mean, she, there is a lot that I feel like a lot of girls can identify with this. And even further from that, like, this whole thing where you have to see, like, uh like, how she interacts with the other fairies. Like, you just get this very nice, believable friend dynamic that you don't... that we didn't really get with, like, the My Scene or the Bratz movies. Yeah, and I think it helps that this is, like, an introductory film, so, like, they're kind of easing us into this world. Because mm. Tinkerbell is also a newcomer to this world, so she's sort of having to learn how things work. Definitely. Definitely. But then, things... Te- take a bit of a turn when uh, Tinkerbell meets up with Vidya, who we mentioned before, who is a fast-flying fairy. Yeah. Which, those are the ones that kind of, like, they're like the airbender fairies. Like, they they make the winds, they carry the pollen, they do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, Vivian uh, is probably the biggest... uh, Probably the biggest goth jock lesbian I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, she like she does not have time for Tinkerbell's bullshit, and of course Tinkerbell is like being kind of like intrusive and annoying with her questioning because you know she's like a baby, and 
Vidya sort of explains that her talent, and of course she's like very prideful about the fact that she has a rare talent. Like there aren't a lot of fast flying fairies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then Tinker Bell is like, "Well, that's just what I do. Us tinkers help all the different fairies, you know, with mm. our uh, supplies that we make." And then we get the scene where she sort of berates Tinker Bell, and she's like, "Well, I get to work up in the sky, and you have to work down in a ditch." Yeah. And this is kind of like this in a scene before where we have the other fairies explain to Tinkerbell about like the mainland where they go to to change the seasons. Where we kind of get the main conflict of the story, which in this universe, uh, although the Tinkers contain the supplies, they don't really have much use on the mainland. So they just sort of stick to Pixie Hollow where it's all like the nature, like the kind of more magical fairies that are the ones that actually get to go to Pixie, to, sorry, not Pixie Hollow, to the mainland. Yeah. And Tinkerbell finds this out in a scene where she creates all these little gadgets to show to Queen Clarion, who's doing, like, a review of the supplies that have made to spring, about stuff that Tinkers can do to help on the mainland, and we learn from Queen Clarion that Tinkers don't get to go to the mainland. In this very, uh, scene that gives me deep deep sympathy to Tinkerbell as she kind of like embarrasses herself in front of all these people uh you remember this scene yeah I remember this scene it's honestly probably the funniest thing where she's trying to show off this nutcracker by like having like uh this like uh these two stones smashing this nut and when she smashing that nut, <laughs> and, and instead of smashing it, it launches as the the acorn flies off into the crowd and hits a hits a, a squirrel on the head, and there is a like a a like slapstick. Oh, the, the, the squirrel faints or anything. All that happens is the squirrel just like is like shocked, and then starts to cry. And then walks away. And that's just like... They... They... Like... The timing... Like, the fact that it was, like, more understated. Just like... Oh my god. Just amongst some of the... Funniest stuff. Like, like probably the funniest gag in the movie. Yeah, it... This movie does has some nice, like, low-key humor moments to it, and that's definitely a very memorable one. Yeah. Because the rest of this movie is essentially Tinkerbell learns that, like, oh, Tinker fairies don't get to go to the mainland, and the rest of the movie is her essentially, like, trying to get her nature talent friends in order to help... for for them to help her teach them their ways so she can become a nature talent fairy and get the privilege of going to the mainland yeah and of course throughout the movie she fails miserably at trying to do any of these things like her first thing is she like uh she tries to work with silver mist to become a water talent fairy but of course like because she doesn't have the water talent she can't move the water so she's just like throwing dewdrops everywhere trying to get something to stick but it doesn't work and you see Um, her get increasingly frustrated and it's just 
Yeah, or, and then the next one, like, she goes with Iridessa, and she, and we get this really kind of cute creative scene where we see light fairies, like Iridessa, how they, like, will capture the light, and then they give the light to lightning bugs, and that's how lightning bugs light up, but, of course, Tinkerbell cannot move the light, because she's not a light fairy. Nope. So she just ends up, like, throwing the satchel around, and then, like... (laughs) <laughs> There's a scene where like the light goes flying and then the light hits her on the butt and then the light the lightning bugs start chasing after her. And that's the the scene there. Yeah. So So this is the main conflict of the film is Tinkerbell essentially like wanting to change her talent and okay. On a level I see what this film was going for. Like it's Trying to tell, like, little girls, like, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of, like, the stuff you can do. Like, just yes. because, like, you can't do what your friends can do doesn't mean, like, you don't have your own cool things that you can do. And you and you need to embrace what you're good at instead of, like, putting yourself down because, like, you can't do these things that other people can do. Which I think is a very good lesson. I think that is a good but, lesson. But... In the context of the way Pixie Hollow works, like, Tinkerbell doesn't really, like, want to not be a tinker because she doesn't like tinkering. No, as we see, like, she clearly has a lot of natural talent and a lot of passion for it. It just happens that she lives in a society that doesn't value her. Uh, Yeah, like, we get Vidya berating her for her talent before... And we get explicitly told in this movie that, like, tinkers don't get, like, the same privileges that a nature talent fairy gets, you know? Because at the end of the day, that's what Tinkerbell is after. Like, she realizes, from the moment she's born, she's realized, she realizes essentially that it's her goal, her ultimate goal in life is essentially to uh, create the means of production, as they say, hmm. for these nature talent fairies. And Indeed. That, and, you know, there's even a sort of symbolism where her talent manifests as a glowing hammer. Hmm. Uh, coincidence. And she sees a world where, like, despite all the work that these the Tinker Fairies do, they're still sort of, like, looking down and not given, like the same sort of prestige that the nature talent fairies are given. Yes. And, uh-oh, you kind of get this sort of, sort of, like, almost kind of class metaphor in this film. Yeah, interesting. It's almost as if, now, now, we don't want to get too political here, but it's almost if, like, you have certain people who have their labor not fully appreciated, even though they're demonstrated to be very essential to the way that this society is run and organized. And it's up to us to be able to make living conditions for those essential workers as good as possible. Because if they weren't there everyone else would be screwed. Hmm. Yeah, because we really see, like, this sort of thing where Tinkerbell develops a complex where she thinks that because she's a tinker that she's, like, not as important or that she's useless. Like, there's this really 
there's this really good scene in it where she's like talking about how much she like doesn't want to spend her whole life like creating pots and kettles like those stupid tinkers and of course like clink and bobbler in the scene and you know they get really sad hearing her say that because like she kind of like insulted their work like yeah this movie is about tinkerbell learning to like appreciate herself and appreciate the work she puts out you know yeah and to the movie's credit in some kind of way it is sort of like about the other fairies also realizing tinkerbell's worth to their society yeah because most people kind of just kind of ignore the tinker fairies up to this point yeah but there's this really like beautiful scene in this movie where so the whole thing with tinkerbell is she starts like collecting what they call lost things which is essentially like little objects that humans use that have washed up into pixie hollow like coins or springs or nails or whatever sort of random junk like that and she finds this disassembled as they call it yeah and she finds this this, like disassembled music box that has like this spinning ballerina on the top and she's unsure about it at first and then she we just get this very well and very comforting like montage of her slowly fixing it the way that we see her process of her fixing things and you actually do get like an impression like oh yeah this is actually accurate to what the inside schematics of a uh, music box would look like and we get this great scene after she fixes it where the camera is perfectly framed to silhouette uh her and this the ballerina on top of the music box with the uh, sun, and you just get this beautiful 360 panning shot that just surrounds it, and it's just uh, it's really just a sight to behold. I really Yeah, I really like the choice to set it at sunset because you get these like kind of shadows behind Tinkerbell. She's dancing with this like little ballerina figure on top of this music box. Yeah. And it's just so, such a nice thing because it sort of shows like Although Tinkerbell's talents might not seem as glamorous as, like, the fairies that can, like, control light or control water that can become just as beautiful as those talents under certain circumstances. And, of course, like, the other uh, Tinkerbell's friends show up and they're like, you know, Tinkerbell, you just gotta, like, appreciate your talent because this is what you're good at. Yeah. But, like, Tinkerbell is still in sort of, like, the denial stage. So, like, she gets angry and she storms off. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and you know what? I it, it does occur to me, like, these are, like, even though this is, like, the B team, for lack of a better word, in, like, the Disney animation department, like, these are, like, still, like, some pretty, like, talented animators that even worked on the direct-to-DVD uh, movies like the biggest problem that a lot of those directed DVD Disney movies has was like they just got like a budget of like two and by golly some of them got had a lot of fun with that but that's that's fine the next scene that happens is the one where she uh, tries to help out with the animals right oh yeah we get a scene where uh Tinkerbell is still trying to like change her talent so she tries to become an animal fairy through help with fawn 
And uh, they're essentially trying to teach baby birds to fly. And of course, like, Fawn is a natural. Like, she gets this bird to fly, like, no problem. But then Fawn leaves behind Tinkerbell to try to help this, like, really scared and nervous-looking bird. And of course, Tinkerbell beefs it absolutely. Like, she tries to be come off as, like, friendly, but she just comes off as, like, creepy and overbearing to this baby bird. Oh, it... This is, like, a great uh, point where, like, Mae Whitman is killing it as the voice actress for uh, for Tinkerbell. Like, she does a great job with that. And, like, you kind of just get this deranged manic energy about her where she, where, like, you can get the impression that, like, oh, like, Tinkerbell has, like, that... Uh, kind of intense side to her that like you don't get to see yeah. in a lot of protagonists tinkerbell she's been kind of pushed to the edge she's like majorly failed at trying to be a water fairy and a light fairy so now she's just sort of like desperately trying to see if she can like pull this off but it's obviously not working at all and she nope. ends up like wrestling with this poor little baby bird and after this, we get a scene where uh, Tinkerbell sees, like, a hawk flying up, and she, like, thinks that's a good idea to ask him for help. But, of course, the hawk starts attacking, and yeah. she meets uh, Vidya in a tree, and she kind of ends up sort of accidentally embarrassing Vidya by kind of uh, pushing her out of the tree, and Vidya gets, like, covered in berries that people were throwing at the hawk. So another reason for Vidya to be kind of... Uh, not liking Tinkerbell at all in this film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's fun Yeah, stuff. but unfortunately for Tinkerbell, with the rest of her friends deciding to stop trying to help her become a nature talent fairy, she ends up turning to Vidya to see if Vidya will help her. Oh and it's my here God. where Vidya, being kind of... Being kind of dastardly in this film, decides to tell Tinkerbell to try to capture the thistles, which we didn't mention before. No. But the thistles were established earlier that there are these, like... Running like, thistle bushes that are, like, kind of a nuisance. Like, they're not, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're not, like, deadly or anything, but they do, like, trample over things and, like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hurt people when they come through. So they're just sort of annoyance. And Vidya tells her that if uh, Tinkerbell wants to be a garden fairy, she should tr try to corral the thistles and capture all of them. And so Tinkerbell attempts to do just that by creating, like, this little corral, and she's, like, riding her along on uh, yeah, she's, like, the going mouse all named Cheese. Yeah. Who is, like, oh. who is this little creature that they use to carry, like, a lot of the pots and kettles in the Tinker camp. And <sighs> she decides to try to capture the thistles. And, of course, like, during it, uh, Vidya keeps on, like, sabotaging her by letting the thistles out of the corral. But, uh-oh, it horribly backfires as Tinkerbell accidentally leads a bunch of thistles into the area where all the supplies for spring were being gathered. And the thistles trample all the supplies, destroying months of work, and Tinkerbell has to take the fall for it. So Yeah. SMH. And this leads to, like... Um, and the thing that I appreciate is that it's... Like, when the movie gets to its sad points, too, even those are, like... Those don't, like, kind of 
they don't really play it that overwrought, you know? It ends up being... Yeah, it's like the characters aren't, like, yelling at her or berating her. It's more they're just, like, you know, they're disappointed that it, like, came to this far. Yeah, and, and she's also, not... And also, like... Uh, oh, Tinkerbell. Yeah, and also, like, Tinkerbell isn't, like, embittered. Like, most of her thing is not... She doesn't, like, lash out or anything because of it. It's yeah, mostly she she takes responsibility for what happens, you know? Yeah. And, of course, all, like, the leaders... Like, you got the different ministers of winter, autumn, fall, summer... That sort of control the different areas, along with Queen Clarion and Fairy Mary are all, like, very distraught now because it's, like, with months of work, like, they don't know if they're going to be able to, like, bring spring to the mainland on time. Because mm-hmm. they got this whole clock where they got this, like, special flower in the spring area, and when it blooms, that's when spring has to come, or else something bad will happen. What yeah. exactly will happen? Well, I guess <laughs> the elemental nature will be thrown out of, out of balance. Yeah? So- yeah, so we get the scene where Tinka's, like, she's at the little basin at, at the pixie dust tree, just sort of, like, depressed about the situation, and then we get uh, Terrence coming in. Yeah, and this is, like, like, the first time that Terrence really interacts with Tinkerbell, even though, like, these are, like, shipping. Yeah, oh, we kind of see him around. He's essentially the main, like, kind of pixie dust fairy, where his job is essentially to... Supply pixie dust to the other fairies. And, of course, voiced by Jesse McCartney in here. He's sort of a Tinkerbell's a pseudo-love interest in these films. Yes, yes. And he comes to Tinkerbell in her lowest point, And she's planning on, like, leaving Pixie Hollow and running away. But it's in this moment where, like, Terrence kind of convinces her. Because he, like, talks about, like, well, you know, I guess I'm just, like, the dust fairy boy like i'm not that important but tinkerbell is like no you're the one who like provides the dust that we need in order to like get by in our society yeah and it's comrade terrence comrade terrence and this is where tinkerbell is like wait i create the means of production (laughs) i am important and (laughs) it's through this epiphany that she is able to be sprung into action and she and Tinkerbell, through these next few scenes, essentially single-handedly brings out the Industrial Revolution to Pixie Hollow because she figures out how to incorporate like, the lost things, all these human objects, into like little devices that makes like doing all the tasks that the nature fairies do way more fast and convenient than it was before. Yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's a fun thing, and I appreciate, like, how creative they got with these like, different designs as well. Like, the little gadgets she creates in the scene are very cute. Like, they take a glove and they attach, like, like a pump from a perfume bottle and an accordion to it in order to, like, gather seeds from a field. <laughs> like, they create these little mechanisms to crush up berries to create paint to paint the ladybugs. Yeah. And we do get kind of a scene where, like, Tinkerbell kind of has to convince them to trust her and her ideas. And we even get uh, Vidya getting a bit of a comeuppance when she reveals that she was the one who told Tinkerbell to corral the thistles. So now she, as punishment, gets assigned to 
uh, capture all the remaining thistles. Mm -hmm. So we do get the scene. And that's kind of the end of Vidya in this movie. But as I said before, she does get a redemption arc in the later films. And she does become like kind of part of the main friend group. Which is nice, you know. She's kind of the Prince Zuko of this franchise, you know. (laughs) It takes her a bit to get there, but she gets there eventually. And through the power of montage and Tinkerbell's gadgets, they're able to recoup all the remaining supplies in order to bring spring to the mainland in the morning. And lucky for Tinkerbell, the powers that be have decided to throw her a bone in this moment as... Since Tinkerbell uh, fixed the music box, she's now been assigned along with Clink and Bobble in order to bring the music box back to the girl who lost it. Yeah. And it's and this is where we get to probably the best part of this movie. Like, you get this montage where we get a reprisal of the original song. Um, so, God, what what's it called? To the Fairies, They Draw Near, uh, Lorena McKennett. And it's... It's I feel like it's a different song, actually, that they play. They label also... it as part two. Well. Because this is the only other song on the score that she sings. Yeah. It's weird. It is sort of in the same vein, though, that kind of Celtic music. And there's even, like, sort of, like, a children's choir backing. And, like... Yeah. We get this scene of them, like, going to the mainland. And they change the seasons on what seems to be just this one park, actually. Maybe not all of London. They just changed seasons to this one park in London. <laughs> well, we could imagine that, like, they divide it up. There's probably, like, a bunch of other fairies doing this stuff. Yeah, I think we just gotta assume that in this universe, like, there are just a bunch of pixie hollows out there that, like, bring the seasons to different parts of the world. Which but... I do like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I do like the idea, because that brings out a lot of, like, franchise potential of like ooh I wonder what the fairies uh, in China are doing or like the fairies in like South America like I could oh I I want to visit uh, Pixie Hollow Australia I want to see how they deal (laughs) with the big bugs (laughs) oh boy (laughs) oh fanfic writers get on that but I don't know, the music is just so nice in this scene, and we get to see them, like, changing the seasons, and of course, Tinkerbell is able to bring the music box back to his owner, and guess who it is? (laughs) Mmm, it's Wendy Darling. Yeah, it's- the music box has belonged to Wendy, and she's somehow able to know, like, which house- which like little window? Yeah, there's it came just like from. a little bell chime that hits. I guess she got close to the waypoint on her mini map, but like yeah, she's got psychic powers, so she knows uh, where it is. And of course, like we see Tinkerbell watch Wendy as she pulls that little key that is able to play the music box. And this does sort of like tie into the whole lore because it's like well. If your clock ever gets suddenly fixed with that explanation, I guess it must have been Tinkerbell. So, yeah, think about f- that, children. Think about that. Uh, one other note I want to add, like, just as a little cute little reference, uh, the uh, music box sings the song uh, You Can Fly from the original 1953 Peter Pan, which, you know, is a nice yeah. touch. It's a cute reference. But it yeah. is. Like, this movie, you know... 
it's just a cute film. Like, yeah. it's thoroughly enjoyable. The characters are so fun. And, like I said, even though, like, the later movies will definitely, like, kind of raise the stakes and, like, explore more of this world, there's something kind of, like, quaint to this film. Yeah, like, I mean, there are still, like, large enough stakes, but it's still, like, one of those things where it's, like, it doesn't feel, like, stressful about it you know yeah this movie is just vibing and you know we definitely do joke about like the sort of kind of class struggle uh, undertones of this film oh and I definitely you're think joking it is. i'm dead serious oh, like I rise too, up to the but, comrade you know, tinkerers you know it's a <laughs> it is one of those things where it's like you could definitely, like, take a bad view in this, where it's like, well, Tinkerbell was just made an exception in this one time in order to, like, um, gain the privileges that she was looking for. Yeah, that's true. But I do think the movie does have a good message, though, that, like... I mean, as we see... You seen, need to like, appreciate the stuff you can do, you know? Yeah. You need to... Not everyone can do everything, and you need to learn to... Except really appreciate talents. it, and you know, maybe some little girls should get into STEM. Is the thing. yeah. Well, even so, like the whole thing where it's like, oh, not everyone can do one thing. That's a good demonstration of like, oh, why we are better when we collaborate and work together and prop up our own collective actions versus. Uh, yeah, because like as we established, Pixie Hollow isn't like a capitalist society, like. There's no, no money in their society. They just do things because they believe it's right to do. They believe it's a good thing to yeah. bring seasons to the mainland. And, and they just do it. They think it's a good that... thing to help the humans. And they don't really expect anything return. You know? Yeah. It's almost it's as if do. that's how our society should be. Yeah. It's nice. It's a nice film. I got a lot of love for this film, and I'm excited for uh, going over the other films in this franchise. Yeah, I I gotta say, really enjoyed it. But uh, I'm out. What I can already guess probably what your rating for this is. I give this movie four point five squirrel concussions out of five. What's the one thing keeping it from a perfect score? I mean, I don't know. I guess I just like some of the later films a bit more. Yeah. That kind of keeps this down. Like, I don't know. This is almost like, it does sort of have the feeling of like a pilot episode to a TV series. You know, it's not like, the series hasn't reached its full potential yet, but it does a Definitely. real good job establishing like what's yeah. to come. Yeah. 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 Because I do believe in the rest of the films, like, we never really get, like, Tinkerbell having ins any insecurity about her abilities in the later films. So this no. is a good, like, kind of starting point. Like, this is how Tinkerbell was able to become the confident, sassy lady she is today, so. Hell yeah. Yeah. Alrighty then. You know, I think with that then... What is uh, your rating, Henry? Oh, I honestly, yeah, I think I'm I'm at the same level where I haven't seen, I don't have a lot of memory of the future Tinkerbell movies. Uh, so I'm gonna assume that like we see, 
like I believe you when you say that this gets it gets better from here. So, yeah, yeah. The next sense. film in the franchise, uh, I believe, is sort of like an an adventure film, like. Yeah, I have vague memories of it because they're like trying to find the uh, the Neverland treasure of some type. Ah, uh, basically, we'll have yeah. to overturn that stone when we get there. Indeed, but. Until we overturn that stone, thank you for exploring Pixie Hollow with us, listener. We hope you enjoyed this time. Um, but until we visit Pixie Hollow again, you can do a couple of things to help support the show. First, by giving a nice rating on your podcast platform of choice, or just making sure you follow us if you listen to us on Spotify. And maybe uh, giving the Pink Isle a, a follow on Pink Isle Pod on Twitter. Uh, but Emma, you know who else has a Twitter? Yeah, it's at EmmaCorey9 if you want to follow it. I haven't follow posted her. it in a long time. I know. So. I'm, I, I swear, Emma, I'm going to get you to post something. Even though posting on Twitter is generally a mistake, I want... I, I It is generally a mistake. I'm more of a lurker than I am an engager I know you when are. it comes to no- social media. This is just how I am. I know, I know. But I just... I just want to shame you into making one post. That's just... That maybe, maybe one day. Maybe it could be my birthday day. gift. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway... Uh, as for me, listener, uh, hopefully you know me. Hopefully you love me. I'm at uh, Kathman Henry on Twitter, henrycathman.tumblr.com, uh, youtube.com slash henrycathman, and most importantly, uh, patreon.com slash henrycathman. That's what helps pay the bills. Just $1 a month and you can help me out, and I really appreciate it. But I guess until next time, Emma... There's only one thing to now decide. What type of fairy do you think you would be? Oh, God. Oh, God. I need to think. Because um... I got to be honest. Maybe it's just because of, like, my nature, but I greatly identify with the Tinker fairies. I could imagine that. I could see that. You are very hardworking, you know. Oh. You're very meticulous with your work. You know what, I think I would be a water fairy, because I'm very much, like, go with the flow. That, yeah, that checks out. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Come back uh, next time when we create our own fairy OCs. Oh, hell yeah. We'll see you until then. Bye! Bye! Bye!